Good morning, everybody. Hope uh, everybody had a very good holiday, and I also hope that 2024 is joyful and prosperous for each and every one of you. Um, thank you again for tolerating my presence up here uh, before you. Um, today, of course, as Tom mentioned, is Epiphany Sunday, and um, let me start by asking just an open-ended question. What is it that we commemorate on Epiphany Sunday? There are a few things which can come to mind. And again, this is not a trick question. <laughs> Nobody is, is going to mock you. Yeah. Pardon? Coming of the wise men. Uh, there's something else also that uh, is usually commemorated on Epiphany Sunday. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and that is Jesus' baptism. Uh, when somebody says that they've had an epiphany, you know, say, you know, Field, you've had an epiphany about something. What are you telling me? I've had a revelation. You've had a revelation, okay. In the Christian faith, when we talk about uh, the epiphany Sunday with respect to the baptism, what comes to your mind about what it is we're really thinking about. And again, Field talked about a little bit of a, talked about a revelation. Yeah. The, the revelation from God that Jesus is the Son. Okay. And the coming of the Holy Spirit. Hey, thank you very much. You, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, it's uh, Jesus's it's God's revelation through his son of his divinity and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, John, I've never, I've said up there, I don't know what possessed me to ask you all a question, but it was the Holy Spirit that stirred me that, that Sunday to ask mm-hmm. you all a question. That mm-hmm. was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wouldn't doubt it. I've said this before up here, you know, everything happens because of the will of God. God leaves nothing to chance. Nancy. Okay. When you say the fulfillment of prophecy, anything particular come to your mind? Okay. And for one who was greater, who, you know, Samuel, who wasn't fit to untie. Okay. 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 In the uh, passage we're going to cover today, uh, in Mark, Isaiah is referenced. So, okay. Uh, any other thoughts? That I don't know, uh, which um, I think I think it's a little bit more common amongst the Eastern Orthodox churches. But okay, okay. But yes, Epiphany Sunday does 
you know, does cover quite a bit of, can cover quite a bit of territory. So, okay. But at any rate, let's uh, jump right into uh, the text that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 28. So let me just give everybody a minute to get there. For convenience sake, uh, I will, since, and we're only dealing with one chapter here, one subject, I will read if everybody's okay with that. Um, this thing has proven kind of crotchety at times when passing it around and things of that nature. Okay. So let's begin. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So piggybacking on what Nancy said, a fulfillment see of a prophecy. Um, in the Bible I am using, uh, there's an interesting note here uh, in refer reference to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 3, which Mark cites. Um, if you actually look at the original text in Isaiah, it doesn't quite fit word for word. So why, why is that? Well, I got a very interesting answered upon doing some research. You know, keep in mind, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. So that's an important consideration. And in all likelihood, uh, when he was writing this down, Mark was using the Septuagint, which was the popular Greek translation of the Old Testament at the uh, at around this time, he was probably using that rather than the original Hebrew text. But anyway, right, we're get, getting kind of a preamble here uh, laid down by Mark, and you know, for this purpose, you know, review of Jesus revealing himself as to exactly who he is. So carrying on, uh, starting again at, at verse four. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, when we think, when we undergo baptism in today, what, what are we, what is that symbolizing? when we see somebody being baptized. They're becoming part of the family of faith. Okay. Any other uh, important symbolism that we can think, that you can think of? Cleansing. Cleansing, okay. 
Okay. All right. Also, is that we actually go to the cross with Christ into the tomb and are raised with him. Okay. All right. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, okay. Okay, putting Christ first. Well, this is one thing that Mark, when he writes about this, he talks about John and John's description. John, I think, is talking about a baptism of repentance. You know, people coming to him, confessing their sins there at the Jordan River and undergoing baptism as a sign of that. But he picks up. Uh, and carries on from there, and he makes a reference uh, to somebody who's coming after him, and of course we all know that's Jesus Christ, and he says, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So focusing on that verse, verse 8, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What do you think uh, John is alluding to with that? The Holy Spirit is probably the least understood member of the Trinity. So, uh, but when we talk about the Holy Spirit, what, is, what does the Holy Spirit provide to us? Pardon? Instant access, okay. Maybe that's, that's not quite what I'm thinking, but okay. Yeah. Comfort by an unseen advocate. Okay. Okay. Revealing. As, go ahead. Uh, I believe that I heard at one point that the, the job of the Holy Spirit always is to point us towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Laying out the map. Putting on the spectacles so you can read, read what's in front of you a little bit more clearly as one uh, person described the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the entity which grants us the w- wisdom, I believe. Nancy? Okay. All right. But I think the difference here is very significant. As I said, John talks about a baptism symbolizing repentance. But the baptism he alludes to with respect to Jesus is, I think, one of wisdom. So. But picking up from there, uh, starting at chapter, or excuse me, verse 9. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. 
One thing I do want to discuss here about Mark's gospel, which is significant. Uh, We've all read the four gospels. Um, When you look at Matthew, Luke, and uh, maybe a lesser extent, John, what is it when comparing Mark to them that makes Mark unique? Just, just the first thing that pops to your head. That was Luke. I think that was Luke. But I'm, I'm talking about the gospel, I mean, not their biographies, but I'm talking about the actual text they wrote. Okay, there's no birth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you? Okay. No birth, no manger, no genealogy. I think you're all right. The thing that makes Mark unique, Mark is an action gospel. Matthew and uh, Luke are much bigger storytellers, if you will. Um, If you look in Matthew and in Luke, they talk about Jesus' time in the wilderness in much greater detail, the actual temptations he underwent. Mark doesn't. Mark is very much to the point in his writing. I'm not sure, but the unique thing about the Gospels is when you kind of combine them all together, it does present you a very complete picture. I know many scholars, and full disclosure, I have not done a whole lot of reading on this, so this is you know, just a layman's anecdote here. Many scholars will contend that Matthew and Luke actually borrowed Mark, and, and well, in fact, they, in a sense, they admit that uh, in their Gospels. But Mark was probably the first one which was composed, which was written down on paper. Um, but as I said, this is a major difference that we already see just right out of the gate. He does not talk about Jesus' time in the wilderness um, in greater detail. He just says. He was with the wild animals, and the angels protected him. Now, is this maybe a little bit of a recurring theme that we've seen previously in the Bible? Somebody being kicked into the wilderness. Who who was thrown into the? Who was forced to go into the wilderness? David. Anybody else? Who? Daniel? I don't think so, unless I'm, well, a bigger, a bigger, I'm talking, let me, let me pin it down, let's talk about the Judean wilderness. If you've ever been to the Judean wilderness, and you look at it, you think, how can anybody possibly survive out here? I mean, it is barren, it is rocky, there are lots of mountains, and there doesn't appear to be too much food and water. But in the, other than David, 
Who else was forced into the Judean wilderness? Moses. Moses never made it in. He had to stop. God didn't, God didn't let him into Judea. He was exiled into Egypt. Yeah. And, and sent out into okay. Egyptian okay. slavery. Okay. Okay. Okay, so does the name Elijah ring a bell? So, is there anything importantly symbolic about Jesus being cast into the wilderness? Okay, maybe. Uh, it's a test. Okay. Uh, a test of faith. Okay. So, would it be perhaps safe to assume that this was done so that Jesus could show us, could put on display his humanity? Well, and it also says the Spirit sent him out. Mm-hmm. So, the Holy Spirit is at work in, in this endeavor. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, go ahead. Well, but it also tells us uh, about testing. Mm-hmm. He was the son of God. Mm-hmm. He was God. Keep coming. He still went through testing. Mm-hmm. And it also tells us about how it is, well, it tells us about Satan. Satan is there. Mm-hmm. He's the tempter. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't go away. Jesus is able to fight with them and mm-hmm. win the battle because mm-hmm. of the Word of God. Okay. You know, if I had a prize to give you, I would give it, but I don't have anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly where I was going with this. I'll bring a gift, a Walmart gift card next time. <laughs> Pardon? Okay, the importance of this uh, passage right here of Jesus going into the wilderness, he was tempted just like everybody else. He had to battle temptation, and he had to survive under very harsh conditions, uh, just as David did, just as Elijah did, and many other people. So this is important in that I think it signifies Jesus is just like, like us, only he did not sin. And, but it says he was tempted. He was tested, like all of us. Um, since I mentioned that, uh, just to go back a little bit, one thing I did mean to ask um, here. Given that... Uh, Jesus undergo, had to undergo baptism. Why, why, why did he do that? He didn't, ha- he didn't have to repent. So why did he do it? Okay. Again, we're, ta- we're talking about a revelation here. Jesus revealing himself as to who he is. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. A recognition of John the Baptist. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
if I may ask, can you elaborate a little bit on by what you mean by that? Well, when you say those, a recognition of him? For those who question, who is he? Is he somebody? Okay. Yes, he is. Okay. And here's an example. Okay. All right. Interesting. But yes, even though Jesus technically did not have to re repent for anything, he did undergo baptism. Uh, to signify, again, I think part of his revelation, he is amongst us. So. I don't think there you can get any bigger than much bigger than that. Well, as I said, I think if you look in their Gospels, they all but, but admit it that they've, they've, they don't, I don't think they mention Mark by name, but, you know, it's pretty clear that they are using borrowed sources, you know. I, I don't, fortunately for Matthew and Luke, plagiarism laws didn't exist on, at the time, and of course they were not trying to become presidents of Harvard. <laughs> Pardon? Well, I think it's a very interesting observation you make there that Matthew and Luke were probably better educated. They were, as I did read some commentary on that, their Greek, they were much more fluent in Greek uh, than Mark was. Um, Mark was, you know, Matthew and Luke were tax collector. One was a tax collector. The other one was a physician. So they probably had more formal schooling at what we would consider formal schooling than Mark did. Um, but yes, I, I think you're, you did hit on, so you do hit on something there. That, and that may be one more reason why Mark is much more concise and to the point than they are. So, did you want to add anything? Mm -hmm. So 
Greek is the common language. In the Eastern Roman Empire, Latin really was never spoken, except mm -hmm. politically. Mm -hmm. So that Greek is the common language of the Middle East mm -hmm. for the purposes of business. So anyone who does business has to speak some Greek. Mm -hmm. That's and a little bit like English is today. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and keep in mind the historical chronology here. I mean, Alexander had moved through the region only within the last couple of centuries. So Greek was still, you know, very important and very prominent uh, at the time. So, okay. Okay. Um, so, again, just to summarize, Mark does not elaborate on any, any specifics uh, of Jesus' time in the wilderness, unlike Matthew and Luke. That's, I think, a very significant thing to keep in mind and a very significant thing to note. Um, and that, again, his going into the wilderness and his baptism, it's part of his identity, him showing us who he really is. So, okay, moving along here... Um, starting at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, I've always found this fascinating. Um, you talk about, obviously, uh, Jesus was very, very effective at revealing who he was. You know, for those of you who have been to uh, Capernaum, uh, you can see, they think, they've located, pinpointed Peter's house. And when you're there reading the tours, exhibits, uh, based upon what they think is the house, Peter was a pretty prosperous man in all likelihood. His house was pretty much close there to the sea, which is something only somebody with money could afford. It's still the case today. <laughs> um, if you want to get a beach house or a house on the lake, you're, you're going to pay a pretty penny for that. But talking about Jesus revealing who he is and being effective at it. Here are two prosperous fishermen, and he says, come and follow me, and they just drop their nets and they leave. They don't question. If somebody said to you, come and follow me, just quit everything you're doing right now, even no matter how lucrative it is, just come and follow, would you be inclined to do it, or would you be inclined to think they were nuts? Like, I'm not going with you. I don't know who you are. But Peter and Andrew do it. So clearly, I mean, they, they, Jesus was able to convince them. And I have to think that, that they, he gave them a clue as to what his, you know, as to what, who he was. And I think it, Mark is the only gospel, you know, Chris, you know, Ron, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I believe it's Mark, 
is the only gospel where Jesus takes Peter, Andrew, John, and James up into the mountain. He says, I'm going to tell you my real purpose, but don't mention it. Is, is Mark the only gospel where that takes place? I think it's Mr. Oh, it is? Okay. All right. But, as I said, picking up there, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So, you've got two guys leaving their father behind on the spot. Let me... Let me ask any any initial thoughts about this, Nancy. Okay, I wouldn't doubt that, Nancy. Okay, so they were already prepared for those who didn't. They were already prepared for this for whatever reason. Okay. Yep, back there. Yes. Come and follow me. Right now. Yes. Okay, they just instantly were filled with Holy Spirit to go. Well, I, I, don't, I don't see how any, it could be any other way. I mean, you're going to walk away from a prosperous fishing business. You're going to leave family behind, and you're going to do it without question. I, I, I can't think of any other reason why, how that could happen. So, but it's interesting, you, know, you mentioned not having God in your life. I mean, how many times have we seen this throughout Scripture? Where people want to turn away from God and says, okay, I'll see you back here when your head gets handed to you. <laughs> so, okay. Any other thoughts or comments, Tom? Well, Jesus through the gospel all the way up to the uh, triumphant entrance into Jerusalem continues and continues and continues. But he also tells them to be silent. I don't think they got it right there when they were called. I think they were moved to follow him, mm -hmm. but then the learning began. Mm -hmm. well, I think I wouldn't disagree with anything you said there, no question. I mean, but still, it is, I've always found this truly mind-boggling that the four of them would just leave on the spot without even, without even hesitating. So... Well, as I said, we're talking about 
revelation here, him revealing himself. So, um, okay. Moving on to uh, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to... Oh, before I... I'm, I got a little bit ahead of myself. There's one thing that I do want to emphasize on the previous uh, passages that we read. You notice what Jesus gives them? Does he give them a blessing? He gives them a task. Pardon? Calls them. But yes, he calls them back. He gives them a task. He doesn't give them money. He doesn't give them a promise. He gives them a job. So, in addition, quit your job and take the job I'm going to give you. Do it right now. Uh, let me, I'll get to you, but these two haven't yeah. spoken yet. Doing things in John, those who were Jewish teachings, that they're looking for the Messiah? We're going to get to that in just a second here, actually. We're going we're gonna to hit on that about where Jesus is about to go here. No, I, think, I think at this point we're, we're way overworking the subject. Jesus could have looked at four rocks and said, follow me. Are you sure about that? Because in Matthew and Luke, Jesus was tempted to turn them into bread. And he didn't do it. So, okay. Okay, now, moving on. Uh, verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. I want to stop right there and just pick up... Uh, where you had just mentioned that weren't James and John, hadn't they been studying to be preparing for somebody? In a, we think of a synagogue as being strictly a house of worship for Jews. Uh, but I did read a little bit of William Barclay's commentary on Mark, which is very, very good. He mentioned something very interesting on this. Not only at the time were synagogues places of worship, they were also places of teaching, places of instruction. I mean, if you needed to go to learn the Torah, that's where you went. So that's where the scribes were. So I don't think it's a coincidence at all that that's where Jesus went. He went directly to the synagogue and already was probably teeing up his conflict with the Pharisees, which will come back, which will repeat itself time and again here. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Going back to the theme of revealing himself to us as to who he is, um, does this paint a pretty clear picture on that front? And here you have the person who is demon-possessed, and his possession is saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Let me start right there. Any, any, first of all, who here, was, who here has actually been to the synagogue at Capernaum? Okay. Just as a sidebar here, when I read that, I had memories come back to me. And it's pretty astounding to think I'm actually at the very site where this happened. I've been to this location where this place. When you go to Capernaum, you can see where the original foundation was and how it's, of course, been rebuilt. Uh, but the ruins are still there. But you actually get to stand at the very location where this occurred. And, and as I said, to me, that was pretty mind-boggling uh, you know, to think that this is where this occurred. Uh, but with uh, Jesus, begin, he begins his mission immediately here after calling uh, his first four disciples. Uh, he does not waste any time at all. Um, and of course, neither does Mark in his account of this. But any thoughts right now about um, where, where this might be going? This is that I know Mark is a cut and dry gospel, but I'm sorry, Tom. Did you have something you wanted to? Uh, I'm I'm trying to give Mark kind of the benefit of the doubt. This is almost like journaling. Mm -hmm. This is almost like bullet points and journaling, as opposed to writing a story. Mm -hmm. More like a newspaper account. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. Which, which verse was that? That was uh, 27. The people were all were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority, exclamation point. Okay. He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. Part of, a, part of revealing himself. Okay. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Um, so... Going back to uh, what you mentioned here about Mark, he kind of gives bullet points. Um, if you read the King James Version of this or the RSV, you'll find a word that Mark really likes to use is immediately. You know, and immediately he was cast into the wilderness. Uh, the NIV does not use uh, that word, but Mark likes the word immediately. Um, yes. Absolutely. Yes. 
Are you reading, uh, are you looking at the King James Version there? Or which, which translation are you looking at? Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty literal translation. I mean, it's, it's almost a word-for-word -word translation. It's, yes? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Immediately is a word Mark really, really likes. So action, quick, to the point. So, but at any rate, uh, Mark wastes no time about his account and puts it right in the first chapter uh, that this is the Son of God. And he doesn't mince any words whatsoever. Uh, he does not elaborate. Another thing that, in addition to not having an account of the nativity, unlike Luke, who talks about the birth of John the Baptist, Mark does not. He leaves that out completely. Um, but any thoughts, any questions, any comments? I know we've covered quite a bit here. Um, I hope it hasn't been like drinking from a fire hydrant, but yeah. when Jesus is being recognized not, and, and it's obvious by the way that it's laid out that it's mm -hmm. the beginning of his ministry mm -hmm. and that it also makes sense that Luke and uh, Matthew would have come at it from a different angle Mark is <coughs> he's not really concerned I guess because he didn't include any of mm -hmm. it with what went before but, you know, as we get to know somebody, somebody mm -hmm. that's exceptional, mm -hmm. I think it's normal to want to say, well, gosh, where were you born? Mm -hmm. What did your parents do? Well, mm -hmm. where did you go to school? Well, mm -hmm. how did you get here? I, I think that the, the sequencing makes sense to me. Um, and the other thing I would say is that uh, the first time that I really studied Mark was under Lewis. And Lewis said that... Mark is the great mystery writer. Really? Uh, yes. He said, because the question throughout with, with Mark is, who is this Jesus? Well, that's interesting. Um, I haven't thought, if you were to ask me of the Gospels, which one is the mystery writer, I'd just be saying John. Yeah. Because I, I mean, it's so different. It's mm -hmm. so different. I mean, John writes, you know, as I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, he writes in a very hushed tone, as I put it, almost esoteric, like this is only meant for just a few select people, you know. So that, I, I'd be interested, you know, of course can't do it, you, un, unfortunately Lewis has passed on, but I, I, if he were still here, I'd really like to pick his brain on that. I'd never, I must say, I've never considered Mark a mystery writer, of the four Gospels, so. Kathy. Well, I just, uh, our daughter answered me. So today, the Eastern Orthodox, they celebrate today, because we teach, they celebrate the wise men with the nativity. And the presentation in the temple is 40 days after the mother delivers. And for that reason, they baptize infants, Christy, 
to infants, and we've been mm-hmm. with them doing a long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do that 40 days after the mother delivers the baby. Oh, really? Okay. Well, as I said, I know Epiphany covers a lot, it covers a pretty broad spectrum of things, but um, during the, the last Sunday school we had, we had covered the Magi, so I, I said there's no need, didn't want to go over that again. But, um, but at any rate, the first chapter of Mark, it's laid out you know, immediately, no ambiguity about it. This is the Messiah, and he has revealed himself to us through here, 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 and here. Ron. Mark's famous goal is called the Messianic Secret. Jesus keeps telling them, don't tell people yeah. who I am, which seems strange. Yes. I'm an Episcopal friend who says that's the only part of the Bible we take literally. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't paying attention. Can you please repeat that? Mark is what they call the messianic secret, because Jesus often says, now don't tell anybody who I am. And I said, I have an Episcopal friend who says, that's the only part of scripture we take literally. <laughs> so. Well, when somebody says, don't tell anybody, it's usually, it's usually an open invitation to subject yourself to gossip. <laughs> But yeah, I have a, uh, I, uh, we all have people we know to go to when we need to get something in the rumor mill. And maybe that, that was Jesus' strategy. Don't tell anybody this. Don't, don't say, don't, you, you can't tell him. Don't think about pink elephants. Yeah. yeah. Don't say any, don't say anything about this to anybody. Translation, go out to the Alamo with a bullhorn and just repeat everything I've said. Chris. Maybe, as I've always thought that one reason why Jesus was not accepted by so many, so many of the people of Israel, keep in mind they were un, basically under Roman conquest here, you know, under Herod's thumb, and I think many of the Jews were expecting a figure like Superman to come and liberate them, and that's, that's not what came, so, in that sense. But at any rate, um, any other final thoughts, comments? I think Tom has ants in his pants up there. He wants, yeah. wants me to get off stage. No, no, not at all. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we're using an email to send out uh, Daniel. I send, I've been sending something out with John's direction for all of Advent. And so if you're not getting it, raise your hand and come see me at the back of class because that means you're not on the list or I'm in your spam. <laughs> and uh, you can't come to class if you don't do a, just a little bit of homework. And 
Yes, yes Nancy, you got to do homework. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, yes, you'll also get uh, an email, Evite, about the Z talks that are coming up on the 14th. Friday night. Friday, Friday night, the 14th. 12th. 12th. Yeah, the 14th is Sunday. Yeah, gotcha. So you'll get an Evite, and that's also not spam. Good deal. Thank you, John. No, thank you. All right. Well, shall we close with a word of prayer? Okay, all right. We'll close with a word of prayer here. Almighty God, we are grateful for your many blessings. We are especially grateful for your greatest and most important revelation to us, that being your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with us today as we go to worship, open our minds and our hearts so that we may hear your word and serve you aright. For it is in your holy and precious name we ask this in all things. Amen. Awesome. Oh, another, another thing.